The curtain has been opened for anybody who can observe and make an objective decision. Evil is seen clearly. Goodness is seen clearly. And now those who, you know, we didn't know exactly what they thought about the sacredness of life, about brutality, about evil, destroying innocence. They, they'd been on the side of equity and justice and diversity and all those other lofty things. Now when the curtain is open, you see, when a crisis comes, when all the warning sounds are echoing and bellowing through all the world, the curtain opens up. And you see on the other side, those who are on the side of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not some other God, those on the side of God, and those who are against God, it's apparent before us. It could not be clearer for all the world to understand. There's really no, no middle ground, is there? And those who doubt the devil and doubt evil, you haven't been reading or watching or listening. We see it displayed in all of its horror. When one side uses human beings as shields, and the other side tries to reverence and look after life, it could not be clearer. As I said to a little prayer group before I went in this morning, there's never been a time in my life or your life of anybody here, a more time of desperation, of fear, of wondering, of questions, than we're in right now at this moment in history. And the great tragedy of all this is that an emergency, a time of desperation, reveals leadership. It does. It does. And we see leadership that is lacking of character, lacking of honesty, lacking of intelligence, lacking of any basic sense. There is a God who built and constructed this world and life and the universe. When you see that not being displayed, it is indeed heartbreaking. But we shouldn't be confused anymore. If anybody's confused, 
It should be clearly seen the curtain has come back. It is a time for God's people, truly God's people, to get on the total side of the Lord or continue to be in that mucky ground of rationalization and silly explanations. So this is where we are. Let's pray. Father, prayer is not the last thing we do. It's the first thing we do. In order to make decisions about ourselves personally, our families, our city, our state, our world, Lord, may we see clearly. May we understand as best we possibly can to know what to say, how to live, yea, how to vote, and how to be the salt, the light, the leaven, the key, the bread, the water in our culture. That is our calling, Father. Teach us to live out the meaning of those symbols of your kingdom is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. And all of God's people said? Amen. The worldview, big words, hear it all the time. What is a worldview? Somebody would say, well, I don't know. Let me tell you exactly what it is. It is a philosophy of life. It is how you and I look on life, all of life, animal life, homo sapien, human life, and how we relate to the universe, and to the earth, basic definition of worldview. A Christian worldview begins in Genesis 1, 2, 3. And there are four cornerstones, got me, of a worldview four cornerstones of how those who are in Christ see and view the world in which we now live in the 21st century. Four cornerstones. This is the foundation, our worldview, these cornerstones upon which we have to stand before we can proceed to any other assumptions or decisions in life. If the foundation of being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We've looked at that verse before. And I think all of us can agree as we look at these foundations that they're being destroyed. 
That is the central attack of Slewfoot, the evil one. Destroy the foundations. And we see around us all of those foundations upon which Western civilization and of which all of us really have basically stood for most of our lives, they're being systematically destroyed. Here's the foundation. That's our Christian worldview. There are one, two, three, four cornerstones in the foundation. The first cornerstone Jesus tells us, he was asked in Matthew 22 by a lawyer, typical, isn't it? By a lawyer, what is the great commandments according to the law? Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first cornerstone. And then we look in the New Testament and we discover that if we love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, with our emotions, with our conscience, with the total essence of who we are, and with all of our strength, that enables us to understand how God loved us in bringing his son, Jesus Christ, into the world who gives us abundant life now and a full life forever. So the first cornerstone is to love God and to love Jesus Christ. And this enables us to do the next thing, the next cornerstone. Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord thy God with everything you got, That's the first commandment, the first cornerstone. The second cornerstone is to love your neighbor. Love other people. We're not able to love only as we have been loved. Some people have a tough time loving because they haven't understood the total love of God and they haven't been loved by others. So we do not have the total capacity to love. First cornerstone, love God, love Jesus Christ. Second cornerstone, we're enabled to do that, to love our neighbors and to love people because we have been given love through Christ and through the love of God. Second cornerstone. Third cornerstone is marriage. You love your wife, you love your husband. And we're taught about this in many places, but particularly in Ephesians chapter five. Third cornerstone. Love God, love Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor, love other people. And finally, husbands love your wife and wives love your husbands. Fourth cornerstone, love your children, love your kids. Now, bang, 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 bang. You got it, the foundation upon which we stand. But the last one we look at, we talk about loving God, loving Christ, loving others. We talked about husbands loving wives, wives loving husbands, and now we come to the fourth cornerstone, love your kids. (laughs) How do you do that? 
How do you love your children? How does that operate? So we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks about loving kids. And we're going to look at the Bible that tells us with clear instructions as a how to truly love our children. How to really love our children. So where do we start? I think we start with a most familiar verse we have about family and kids and all the Bible. Most of us are familiar with it, found in Proverbs. We all know it, but I'm going to read it in order to be accurate. How do we love our kids? We train up a child, a kid, in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's how we love our kids. We train, not down, we train up our children. I want to put this into a grid, and it's a generalized grid. Somebody said, well, I'm too old for this. I've already got my, no, I don't. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody needs to know how to give counsel to young married people, grandfathers, grandparents, all in between, those who are single. We need to know this is the basic principles of how we train, how we love kids. God's principles. God's principles, okay? That's what we're going to be dealing with. Not an opinion, not a philosopher, not some healthcare expert. God's principles. Basically, it's upon which Western civilization operated in a general way prior to the 1960s. God's principles, generally accepted by the Western world. But now we moved into another era, and many of us have forgotten what it means to train. I want to start off and put it into some some categories. Train that baby. And by the way, it begins the first season of training. Ecclesiastes says there's a season for everything. And with our children, there are seasons. There is zero to three. That's the first season, one and two. In that season, I call it the season of being a servant. It's the servant season because that's when the parents, especially particularly mother, 90% of it, looks after that little one in every way, health, food, care, sleep, nurture. That's when the child, follow me closely, is the center of everything and the mother and the dad surrogate the mother is a total servant of the child for the child to survive. Now, other animals, when they're born, by the way, they can survive. They can make it. Humans cannot. Maybe we have a longer period of time in order to be safe and secure than other animals. And we are not an animal in the general sense, but in the particular sense, made in the image of God. God planned evidently for it to take more time takes more time for mom to be in this servant role where guess what? The child is the center of everything in the life of that mom. mom. Dad, as he comes in off the bench, is also there, but primarily it is the mother 
there is at least one year and what that mom is, her life is shut down, it's closed, it builds around that child, supplies all the needs of the child, health, safety, food, temperament, everything. Not a mother here misunderstands what I'm saying. It's a time of being a servant. And then the second year, you begin to move into the wonderful experience of toilet training. You see, you begin to require something of the child. Then the child begins to, you know, to, to eat, maybe get something on the, may they begin the second year to try to put on their clothes. And we develop that. And all of this is involved of those first two years. That's a separate time of parenting, particularly the mothers there with that son or with that daughter and with that baby. And they, they protect that child. And you show love, you show affection. You're sensitive to everything about them. You respond to, to tears, you respond to every kind of need you can understand. That's those first year and then the second year you begin to kind of grow up the trial and chain the child a little bit. And that's what we do. And this is done in all the worlds. I want to show you something in the porcupine world of all worlds. Animals do this. I want you to see here are two little porcupines. There's the father and the mother, the male, the female. They're walking by the road. I think they're attacked by a panther. I'm not sure of what this animal is. You might help me. I want you to look at it. Two little porcupines, male and female in the road. Is that a panther? I think. You think they're protecting those two? This may not come out like you think. that look like a mother to you taking out their children and a, and a father? Now, what you don't know about a porcupine, they don't shoot those quills out. Bang! Do you think they do? Uh-uh. They don't do that. What they do is when they touch anything, a part of that sticker comes out, goes into the body of that or whatever touched it. And I can tell you, that panther didn't bother any more baby porcupines the rest of its life. That is primarily over-exaggerated what a mom does in that first season of life, year one, year two. You are a servant to that child, that baby. That baby is the center of everything. Got it? Now, season number two goes from three to 13. 
10 years. And now things totally change, parents. No longer are you the servant and the child is the sinner, but now mom and dad are the sinner. Stay with me. Some people do not make this transition and the child becomes an idol. Mom and dad are the sinner and the child begins to feel this. All of a sudden, they're required to eat at a certain time. I don't want to eat now. This is when we eat. They get up at a certain time. I don't want to get up. This is when we get up. We go to bed at a certain time. This is the second stage. The first stage, you're a servant. The second stage, you are a leader. And you teach that child obedience and submission. You are in control. Now, the modern world says, you know, you've got to tell your children. No, 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 no. You don't explain anything. Why? Just because I told you. That's that period from three to 13. If you try to go into something else, you're not ready. It's just because I told you so. Stop. Turn around. Don't do that. When God gave the 10 commandments that he asked Israelites, well, let's talk about these. What about the one on adultery? Y'all all for that one? <laughs> or stealing? No, God said, this is it. This is where we have a problem. For example, new math. New math is totally backwards. New math says five times five is 25 or five times three is 12. I want to tell you why. No, you learn your math, you memorize the rules, then you explain why, not the other way around. So parents, three to 13, what you say, what you command, that is when you are authoritative. Well, you will be mean. No, that's a sign of love. We'll talk about discipline later on. It's a sign of love. You love that which you discipline, that which you require. And we'll see that developing in our study. So this is a time of leadership, a time which mom and dad takes the role of God in their life. They had been the center. Now mom and dad are the center. And dad's primary concern is mom and mom's primary concern is with dad. I read about a Christian psychotherapist. He tells the example, he said he did it all the time. A, 16 year, a mother of a 16 year old said, my 16 year old doesn't respect me. Man, he comes home and he's on drugs and he's drunk and I, I get on to him and we fuss and we argue and He's just mean to me. He says he hates me. And he said, what am I to do about it? And, and the Christian psychotherapist said, well, what you have to do is squeeze them back until they are 12 months old. Parents, get that. Three, 13, unquestioned obedience. Well, you're being hard. I, I, I want my children to love. Listen. Your child doesn't need a buddy-buddy mother or a buddy-buddy daddy. They need a dad and a mom who teaches them obedience during 3 to 13. <laughs> this is God's plan. We'll develop on discipline. We'll talk about this later, but indicates you really love. So this is a time in which you spell it out, you explain it, and say, this is how we do things in our house, in our family. And you do it because you love them. You're protecting them. 
And you say, well, let me tell you something. If your child wants some candy and you say no, they say, I hate you, mom. If you say yes, I love you, mom. A lot of mothers get confused here. We do what's best for our child. We train them up, we speak to them, we teach them discipline, we teach them respect. We begin to teach them not only morals, but manners. I went to a play in a secular school this week and they had, kids were there and as I was leaving, I, I went out the door and a whole bunch were hurrying at me, so I just held the door and let them go flying through, bang, bang, bang. And toward the end, there's a young man, man said, thank you, sir. Hello! <laughs> what kind of parents you think he had? Did they teach respect? Did they teach manners? Did they teach appreciation? This is when you do it primarily between three and 13, those 10 years in which mom and dad are now the center and the child is not a center and the child doesn't like it. Man, it'd be good to have a servant all your life, wouldn't you? And some parents keep on serving, serving, serving. We'll talk about that style of parenting as we move through this time. Stage two, authority, leadership by the parents. Stage three, this is from 13 to 18, and this is when you give reasons, folks. This is when you explain, if you were in math, why five times five is this and 10 times this is this. This is when you explain what you're doing. Now you reason with them. Three to 13, don't do any explanation. You don't need any explanation. You don't ask any explanation. Explanation won't do any good. They're beyond that point of reasoning. They just, this is it and this is that. You see, if we do these things in these stages, stage one, stage two, we're ready for stage three. And then they go into a transitional period at 13 forward, and then they begin to make decisions on their own as best they can. Then they begin to decide, well, you know, my dad wasn't the craziest guy in the world when he told me not to do that. I remember we had in this church, been a long, long time ago, our two sons, they had two good friends in this church. Their parents went to this church. They went to spend a night in their home once. They came back telling us what happened in that home as far as what they watched, what they read, and their attitude, and we said, you'll not be able to play with them anymore. We didn't explain anything. We just said, that's it. Didn't go to those parents, that's it. They wondered, why won't the pastor's kids play with my kids? They left the church about three months later. Well, I never said anything to them as to why. That was just a decision that mom and dad made. Do I have to tell you, I want to elaborate what happened to those two kids they brought up in that kind of home? Do I, do I have to tell you? You can guess, can't you? The difference. Parents, you have to make hard decisions with your kids, kids they don't like, as they learn to respect, as you learn to control them from three to 13, and then there's their transition period. They're growing up. They, they make decisions of their own primarily. You're still there. Uh, the, the Jews have a wonderful thing, a bar mitzvah, a bar mitzvah, which they graduate, they become adults, they learn scripture. And, and almost every culture has it. The Japanese have a culture. 
which you get to be 20 years of old, you dress up in a suit, you go to business, go down to business with your dad, there's a celebration, that's when you begin to vote. That's when they say you move into adulthood. Uh, uh, an ancient tribe that lives today on the Amazon River, they had a way of letting their child grow up when they got to be about 13 years of age. They, put, they had them put on gloves, and in that gloves were bullet ants. And a bite from a bullet ant, they say, is about 30 times worse than a bee sting. They have to put on those gloves and keep them on for 10 minutes and do it 20 times. And the thesis is they're teaching their kids as they grow into adulthood, there'll be pain and there'll be suffering, there'll be heartaches, and you have to learn how to do that if you're going to be a man or you're going to be a woman. You see, that was their way of transition. But the Cherokees had a wonderful way. When, when a young brave would come a certain age, they would take that brave out in the middle of the forest. They would say they would blindfold him and he would have to sit there on a stump for no reason taking the blindfold off, rain, snow, sleet, cold, wind, never take the blindfold off as the sun went down until the sun came up the next morning. And you can imagine a 13-year-old young man out there in the forest surrounded by bears and lions and you know what in that day and snakes, the fear that had come with that blindfold all night long. And the, and the child was instructed never to tell anybody what happens as you go through this transition into manhood. And they sit there all night long with all the animals, all the possibilities coming down. When the sun comes up, then they can take off their blindfold. And when the young Cherokee takes off the blindfold, he looks, though he did not know it, there was his father sitting on a stump about 10 feet away. See, that's it, parents. Do you get the picture? And so this is when you begin to give them independence. You begin them a way to make their own decisions. You've built the right stuff in their life. You've gone through season one. And now you've gone through season two when you were the commander in chief, the role of God in their life, and they obeyed without question, without pouting. You didn't negotiate. I'll give you this if you'll do that. Parents don't do that. That's stupid. You're losing the battle of being a godly parent. Three to 13. 13, then you see them grow up. Then they take responsibility. And in all of this, I hope they have chores. They have things they need to do. I hope you're not helping them with their homework every night. Oh, and parents get wrong goals for your children. We'll talk about that. Wrong goals. So you've got the seasons. Now you see the style of parenting. How do parents, they have a certain style in training up their children. And they're all different styles. We go through them rapidly. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about a style, uh, free reign parenting. Free reign parenting. That is, well, you know, we'll just let them grow up and, and we'll just let them go on their own. I know he's only eight, but I mean, I just let him kind of move. And free reign parenting is deadly parenting. Let me give you a little cartoon to go along with it. There's a free reign parent. Can you read it up there?
My mother took me to the, and left me there too. <laughs> Free reign parenting, that's where they end up. Just go whatever. Second style of parenting, um, Free reign parenting, attachment parenting. You just attach to that child, and you have to be touching and holding and be there. I'm attached and come and sleep with us. I'm attachment parent. Some have that style. Little cartoon goes along with that. Ah. This is my mother. She is the what? Staying with us this semester. We still go to sleep. Attachment. Oh, I want to be there. I've got to hold on. I've got to touch. Attach That's not the way to parent, folks. And then there's tiger parenting. Look at this. Stay inside the lines if you want to get into a good college. Oh yeah, attachment. I can't let go, I'm not letting you grow up. And then there's helicopter parenting. We're all familiar with that, I think. Sorry he's late for work, we forgot to brush his teeth this morning. Helicopter parenting. When the helicopter is just kind of going over everybody and everything and seeing things, Folks, by the way, this is not just to be humorous. I hope some parents will say, you know, that's sort of the way I am. Not the way to do it. Now, all of us who've been through this, I'd like a redo. Let me assure you that. But this is a style of parenting we have. So let's not cover all of it. This is a general introduction to our whole study of parenting. But let's see, the third thing I want to look at is what is the goal of parenting? What is the goal? By the way, it's helping them find out God's purpose for their life. And this is the goal that parents have that'll lead him into that. Let me say something just to the side. You know what, uh, being unsuccessful, somebody who's unsuccessful is somebody who was a, a success and it didn't have any meaning. Do you get that? Unsuccessful person is somebody who was a success, but their success has no lasting meaning or significance. That's somebody who is unsuccessful. Success without meaning. Parents, we have an obligation to say to our children, God has a purpose for your life has a plan for your life, an agenda for your life. And you will find it when you, and we point them toward the goal. What is the bullseye that parents have? Let me say, by the way, I'm not including everything. Let me say, by the way, sometimes parents can do everything that's possible and do it all right, and still a child will go astray. Some will come back, some will not. And we use this verse, by the way, inappropriately. Train up a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Well, my child, I tried to train him, but now he's out there. He is drinking, and he's had 16 marriages, but he's going to come back home. 
Listen, that verse is not a promise, it's a principle. Get the difference? Train of a child the ways you go and when they're old they not depart from it. That's not a promise, that is a principle. Was God a good father? Adam and Eve, what happened to them? Because they had the freedom of choice, they made a decision that affected them and affect all of humanity. So we have to realize there's a way to parent. It's not the way of Cain, read the Old Testament. Look what happened to all his descendants. Killed his brother. Look at the other child, Seth. Look at all his descendants. They followed in God's way. Cain followed in his way. Look at what happened in the results. Doesn't take somebody five beta kappa to figure that out. So what is God's method of parenting? I'll be quick. Number one, the goal is to let them imitate Jesus, to be like Jesus. Well, that is so high up there. It is. Uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, those who are the call according to his purpose. Doesn't that sound great? I love that verse. Whatever's happening, all things going to work out for God's glory and for God's good. I love that verse. That's Romans 8.28, but Romans 8.29 said, your children are to conform to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hello. All things work together for good, and then your children are to conform. In other words, they are to follow Jesus Christ, and we are to build in their lives godly principles, morals and manners a love and a respect and a reverence for God. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. That's what a Jewish father did every day with their children, every night with their children. What does it say? He said, hear ye, O Israel, there is one Lord, one God, and you are to build these godly principles in their life when they go to bed, remember? When they get up in the morning, when they eat their meals, when they go out the door, well, that sounds awful hard and super pious. No, it's just the atmosphere of a Christian home. I came up in a Christian home because of my mom. My mother saw to it that we prayed when we ate, sat down and ate a meal. We had a blessing. Breakfast, lunch, we call it dinner, and supper. Now we call it dinner. Three meals we prayed. Every night before we went to bed, didn't matter when I came in, my mom would be there with the Bible. You missed. With the Bible. <laughs> and she would read it and I would read it and we would pray for missionaries and for people. I did that every night of my life when I was old, when I was born all the way until the last night I spent with my mom before she went to heaven. We did that in our home. And I would come in every day I never rode to school in my life. I walked to from the first grade all the way through high school. We walked there up and coming. When I would come home, I'd hear my mother singing thousands of times, the same chorus. In the morning, I see his face. In the evening, his form I trace. In the darkness, his voice I know. I see Jesus everywhere I go. She didn't just pour it into us. It was the atmosphere of our home. 
The atmosphere. It wasn't a super pious kind of thing. It was the atmosphere. Therefore, we're teaching our children to follow Jesus, to let him be their example. That's the first goal. You know what the second goal is? Is for the parent, particularly the father, to be a serious follower of Jesus. Some of you dads are like, boy, I'd do anything for my children that I could. The best thing you can do is to be a genuine man of God. That's the best thing you can do for your child. Nothing else. Well, that's a mighty high calling. No, it's not. You just pray. You read your Bible. You let them know that Bible study and worship is the highest priority in your life. And in that atmosphere, train up a child in the way. By the way, there are not many ways. Well, they got a lot of ways to train. No, no, there's one way. That's God's way. And the goal is, and by the way, you can do it with graciousness, with love. You'll build respect for your kids. They will honor you, though they may hate you right now. That's all right during those three to 13. That's the way God has planned for parenting to take place on this planet, in your life as a father, in your life as a mother. And you say, well, you know, I've done all that, but in this culture, a child can go and get an HIV disease, a sexually transmitted disease, and, and, and it will affect them the rest of their life. They can get involved in drugs. It'll affect them, even though you've done your best. We live in a very capricious culture. Therefore, parents have to be overly alert, overly sensitive, and you have to get in the heart of your child. I'm always amazed. Parents said, I didn't have any idea that he was on drugs. I didn't have any idea that his friends, and by the way, I have never seen a child in trouble that mom and dad didn't say it's because of their friends. And sometimes their child had been the primary actor in the whole thing. And by the way, something else I'll say while I'm here, I'll be back to it. If your teacher has a problem with your child, 99.9% .9 it is the child, not the teacher. Wake up. All these kinds of parenting, helicopter possessive parenting, you want to keep your child from having any pain or challenges or any shortcomings or fail? No, 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 no. That's a part of the three to 13 growing up so they'll be able to be a man or woman when they get in their teens and they'll make right choices themselves. That's our goal. That's our goal. Nothing we need more and for a mom and dad to say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, oh, you children, you're my children. He said, I want you to imitate me. Can you say that, Dad? Can you say that? Children would do what we required them to do until they're about 14. Then they begin to do and live like we live. I'll do anything for my kids. Be a godly man, be a godly woman. Love your wife, love your husband, the highest priority. Um, so much to say, we've only just begun. We've laid down the principles, you got them? 
Foundation is being destroyed. We see the role of parents, strategic role of parents, as to how to parent, how to bring up a child God's way. First two years, remember, you're a servant to the child. Next 10 years, 13 to 13, you are a leader. You become the authority figure of your child. Without a lot of explanation, you don't do that. Then 13 up, you see your child begin to grow and develop and make choices on their own by and large. But you're still sitting there on the stump when they go through it all. Do you get that? In this church, we say second loves kids. And we really, really do because we want to be there for moms and dads to help in all of this. Because you can't do it. Only as God in Christ and his Holy Spirit will enable you to do it. That's the only way. That's the equipment that we have to do it. That's what God gives us to do it. And what a high call it is to bring up a child and see them begin to grow. To love God and to love Christ. I know children who came up in impossible situations. No father, no dad. Impossible situations. And today they are terrific terrific kids. I know others who came up in a home that seemed to be perfect, perfect and great and loving and the kids turned the wrong way. But those principles there generally work. Train up a child in the way, not many ways, God's way they should go. And when they're old, when they're older, when they mature, the GPS system will be built in their heart and their life and they'll make the right choices.